0: Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer, so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Greetings, sports Insiders. Chris here today to let you know that today's episode is taken from Elsevier's Case of the Month with Dr. Raj. In the show notes, you'll find links to Elsevier's Medical Student Hub with the Case of the Month video series as well as links to more content by Dr. Raj, including his own podcast. With that out of the way, here's today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Beyond the Pearls Case of the Month. And it is actually January. It is the beginning of the new year. So I know it's been such a tough year for everyone for so many reasons. So, you know, one of the main questions I've been getting about in regards to just the pandemic or whether we're talking about Board View or USMLE are questions about sleep. So you know what? I want to make this case of month a sleep medicine case. So here is the vignette. We have a 24-year-old medical student. How fitting, I purposely picked that, seeks your advice about an episode that happened over her brief summer vacation. She was staying with some friends at the beach, and she fell asleep while sunbathing one afternoon after staying up till 3 a.m. the night before. She was awakened by some shouting, and you know what? She couldn't move, and I put that in bolded red, and this occurred for around, I don't know, several seconds. She was aware of her surroundings and did not lose bladder or bowel control during this episode. She says, you know what? This happened once in the past, and her Epworth sleepiness scale score was 8 she is otherwise healthy. She takes no medications. And you know what? She is doing reasonably well in school. So stop right there. Um, what is this Epworth sleepiness scale score? And now I gotta tell you, that is a tongue twister. Don't say that 10 times fast. But um, well, I put it right here for those who are not familiar with it. So when we talk about medicine, whether it's pulmonary, cardiology, or sleep medicine, there's always as some kind of scoring system to evaluate certain pathology. So when we talk about how sleepy are you, one of the validated scoring systems that we commonly use in sleep medicine is this Epworth score. So I put a copy of it right there. And this is something that we give to our patients when they come to, eva- we come to evaluate them initially. When we change medications, or we start therapy, they may repeat the score to see how they're doing. And the Epworth is during a situation, and there are eight situations here, so basically there are eight questions, what is your chance of dozing? Zero meaning not at all. Three means, yep, I'm gonna to be totally out. So we're gonna ask you situations like, so if you're sitting and reading, are you gonna doze off? Are you watching TV? Can you doze off? What about just sitting down quietly in a in a public place, you know what I mean, like a movie theater? So you could read all of those, but this is a very simple questionnaire that usually is given to my patients prior to me seeing them as a sleep specialist. Now, let me ask you this. If I was worried about someone having excessive daytime sleepiness, the score goes from zero to 24, what is gonna be the numerical cutoff to say, you know what, you may have some pathological sleepiness. Well, you know, you could throw in a couple of numbers, but usually the number that most of us gravitate to, is going to be somewhere between 12 and 15. Now, if I make the number 12, it's going to be very, very sensitive. So I'm going to catch everyone who's sleepy. If I make the number very, very high, then it's going to be a little more specific. But I would say somewhere between 12 and 15. 12 is what many people go with. But her Epworth score is going to be eight. All right, for what it's worth. So not too sleepy at all. So let's continue reading. Oh, which of the following do you recommend in this patient? So let's just take one step back. We have a pretty healthy 24-year-old female. She was uh, staying up one night, and all of a sudden, when she was sleeping, she, uh, she couldn't move, and she was scared. I would be, and her epworth was eight. So what do you recommend? Should we evaluate her for narcolepsy? Well, stop right there. So if someone's going to be evaluated for narcolepsy, what is one of the key features that we always think about if someone has narcolepsy? You got it. Excessive daytime sleepiness. Not I'm a little fatigued. I mean, you need to sleep. That's what excessive daytime sleepiness is. And when we talk about narcolepsy, you know, I gotta tell you, it is a rare disease. It's an orphan disease, but it's highly underdiagnosed. And it's often misdiagnosed. And many of my patients get misdiagnosed for other things before they get the correct diagnosis. So even though I'm very passionate about narcolepsy, you know why I don't think narcolepsy is going to be the answer here? She's just not sleepy enough. But why did that make one of the answer choices is because when we think about narcolepsy, there are three broad categories of symptoms, the excessive daytime sleepiness, they could actually have poor sleep at night. And the last is going to be the accessory symptoms of narcolepsy, such as sleep paralysis, such as having hallucinations as you're falling asleep or waking up Or there's a word called cataplexy and what is cataplexy kind of that loss of muscle tone, but you still are going to be conscious and it usually occurs when you have people that have exposed to intense emotions like laughter. So, even though there is possibly some sleep paralysis here, you know, I feel that this is not going to be a narcolepsy evaluation. Now, what about B, referral to a psychiatrist? Now, that's kind of mean, right? You have an episode where you can't move a night. I don't think it's time to go to the psychiatrist. That probably is not going to be the answer. And test-taking skills. Is the answer on boarding exams in the USMLE usually going to be referred to someone else? The answer is, you know that. It probably is not going to be that. Uh, let me skip down to letter D here. Should we evaluate her for seizures? Well, you know what? The answer is no, but look at the vignette. What did we put here? There was no loss of bladder or bowel control. So I just don't feel that this is gonna be a a seizure workup. I don't think she needs an EEG. I don't think she needs any type of MRI or imaging of the brain. So, So by default, I think the best thing to do is give a little what, some reassurance. So if I had to pick the answer, the answer is going to be, C. And I may have mentioned what she has already, but maybe you didn't hear it. So, who wants to tell me the diagnosis in this patient? Oh, you guys are amazing. This is going to be sleep paralysis. So, before I just jump into it, can I see a show of hands? How many people out there have had an episode of sleep paralysis? And I'm not just raising my hand to be cute. I actually had some episodes of sleep paralysis. And For those of you who raised your hand, and I could see you, um, was it scary? Were you scared? And the answer is, yeah, I was. I was terrified. Can you imagine? It's like, uh, what's my critical care analogy? Being in a medical ICU, someone gives you a paralytic but forgets to make you sleepy? Oh, my God, that just freaks me out. And that's what sleep paralysis is. So I want to spend some time today to talk about sleep paralysis. So I think the first question I want to ask is, is Sleep paralysis, bad. And you know what? You actually want to have some sleep paralysis. And what do I mean by that? Well, normally we're paralyzed when we have REM sleep. Now let's take a step back over here. When we talk about sleep in general, there are two broad stages of sleep. There's non-REM and REM. And of course, REM stands for rapid eye movement. And when we think about non-REM sleep, how many stages are there in non-REM sleep? There are three. We call that N1, N2, and N3. And of course, N stands for non-REM. And when we think about N1 sleep, that's going to be, you know, when you first doze off, that's going to be the lighter stages of sleep. We only spend around 5 to 10% in N1 sleep. Then we go into N2 sleep. And we spend a lot of time, a majority of our time, in N2 sleep. Then we go a little bit deeper into n N3 sleep, that's also known as slow-wave sleep. It's also known as delta sleep or deep sleep. And we have more deep sleep, delta sleep when we're younger and we actually lose a lot of it as we get older. Then after we're in N3 sleep, we finally get into REM. And what makes REM so unique than any other stage of sleep? I kind of gave it away you're paralyzed, you don't move in REM sleep. Why is because of those dreams. And now let me take a step back and ask you a question. So what stage of sleep do we dream in? And you know, that's kind of a leading question, because you can dream in any stage of sleep. But when I say vivid, HD TV like dreams. What stage is that going to be? Oh, it's definitely going to be in REM. So you know sometimes you wake up in the morning and you know you dreamt and you're thinking really hard about it, but it's almost like the recording of your dream is like old VHS tape. It's kind of blurry and hazy, and you you know you dreamt, but you can't say anything about it. That's probably a non-rem dream. But in these vivid dreams you have in REM sleep, they're so vivid, you'll probably end up going to move. And trust me that you don't end up moving all the time when you have REM sleep, you, you kind of want to be paralyzed. So it's a protective mechanism for you and your bed partner. So over here, yes, sleep paralysis is important when you're in REM sleep, but there are disorders. And look at this one. It's called REM movement disorder. Now REM movement disorder goes under a broad category of disease called parasomnias. So what are parasomnias? Unwanted behaviors and actions and thoughts that occur as you're falling asleep, as you're waking up or transitioning between the different stages of sleep. So in individuals who have REM movement disorder during REM sleep, they're not paralyzed. Now that's not a good thing. And when we talk about individuals who have this REM and they get some pretty aggressive dreams. So these dreams are not dreams of them playing Uno or Sudoku. I mean, these are dreams of being pirates. These are dreams of running and jumping. And you know what, if you're not paralyzed, who is gonna pay the consequence? You got it, those bed partners, because you're gonna be punching and kicking. So there is a disorder that we worry about called Ren Movement Disorder. And this disorder mainly occurs as you get older, and this disease mainly occurs in men, and let me give you a USMLE pearl, who can tell me out there what neurological disorder is associated with REM movement disorder? Who can tell me? I think someone yelled it. It is Parkinson's disease. So back to sleep paralysis, you definitely want it normally, especially when you have a... Uh, normal REM sleep and remember most of our REM sleep occurs closer to the morning, closer to the morning. And how are you going to remember that when most of us wake up, most of us try to wake up from a nice beautiful dream because that's when we have all our REM sleep. So back to sleep paralysis, how do we categorize it? Well, here are a couple of those sleep words that we use. Is it hypnagogic or is it hypnopopnic? So hypnagogic means it occurs as you're falling asleep. Hypnopompnic means, as you're waking up and you know when we talk about narcolepsy because many people kind of niche sleep paralysis to narcolepsy most of the uh sleep paralysis occurs as you're falling asleep and you're going to ask me why dr raj is because when we talk about narcolepsy there's a dysregulation of your sleep and wake cycles during the day you know people are going to have excessive attacks of sleepiness. And during the night, they can't even fall asleep. So when we think about narcolepsy, it's definitely a misconception that people with narcolepsy are sleeping all the time. They mainly have that dysregulation of sleep and wake. But why do they get more of that hypnagogic paralysis is because during the day, when people with narcolepsy suddenly fall asleep, they fall asleep into REM. And when you fall asleep into REM, you're going to be what? Paralysed. And when you're going to be paralyzed, you know, your body wants to actually try to wake you up and give you these visual hallucinations, and you're actually going to be dreaming. So you definitely get these hallucinations as you're falling asleep. You get to sleep paralysis as you're falling asleep. So think about hypnagogic, even though technically uh, people with narcolepsy can get both. So sleep paralysis, it can happen as you're falling asleep or as you're waking up. So with that being said, you know, what's another way to characterize it beyond falling asleep and waking up? Well, you want to know if it's going to be an isolated episode or is it something that's going to be recurrent? Now, i got to tell you, you know, it is very, very common that many people will have one episode of sleep paralysis, including me. So what can give you an isolated episode of sleep paralysis? Well, look at the first bullet point. Sleep deprivation. Uh, can I see show of hands? How many people listening to this are sleep deprived? There we go. Uh, so when we talk about why, it's because when you are sleep deprived, you actually will rebound in some stages of sleep that you really need, like N3 sleep, known as delta sleep, slow wave sleep, or REM. And when you get that REM rebound that occurs sometimes when you are, have, um, are sleep deprived, you have a higher chance of being awakened or falling asleep in the REM, so higher chance of having sleep paralysis. Look at this one, jet lag. So why are people with jet lag a little more predisposed to sleep paralysis? It's because due to the, 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 the change between the patient's circadian rhythm and the time where they are, their REM sleep is all over the place. And because their REM sleep is all over the place, they have a higher chance, not to mention they're probably sleep deprived from the travel, you know, to get some sleep paralysis. Alcohol, oh boy. You know, when we talk about alcohol, what do we say is that, can alcohol make you sleepy? The answer is uh, yes. I mean, that's the claim to fame. It definitely could knock you out per se, but what is the downside of alcohol? Well, in regards to sleep, you get multiple awakenings the second half of the night, multiple awakenings and arousals. That's why you feel so tired in the day after a night of drinking. So you can imagine if the second half of the night is where you're having multiple awakenings and arousals, the more arousals and awakenings you have, the higher chances you are of having what? Sleep paralysis. And the last tier is going to be GERDs. What does GERD stand for? Gastroesophageal reflux disease. So you can imagine that if someone has heartburn when they're going to bed, or maybe that night they they ate some uh, foods that really could predispose them to GERDs, like caffeine, chocolate, tomatoes, you know, that every time you have that heartburn, it may wake you up from sleep. And the more times you arouse some sleep, the higher chance you may have of having some sleep paralysis. So one thing I wanted to make clear, if you're asking what actually is causing sleep paralysis, it's a disconnect. What is the disconnect between the brain and the body? What happens is, is that when you're awakened, well, your mind's awake, it's ready to go. You see everything that's going on, but your body is trapped in REM sleep. And because your body is trapped in REM sleep, you're going to be what? Paralyzed. And that's the big disconnect is having brain awake the body still trapped in REM sleep. It's trying to catch up. So what about recurrent sleep paralysis? Well, this is usually when I often see these patients. And what can cause it? Well, you know, look at this one, sleep apnea. Definitely not as rare as a narcolepsy. 20 million people have obstructive sleep apnea in the United States. And when we talk about why does obstructive sleep apnea uh, make you predisposed to sleep paralysis, paralysis It's because of the multiple awakenings and arousals. So every time you stop breathing, every time you have a heroic snore, you have a chance of arousing and awakening. And the more awakenings you have, the more chance of having that sleep paralysis where your mind can be awake, but your body can be stuck in REM sleep. So if you suspect obstructive sleep apnea, this is 100% why you may need a sleep study to make the correct diagnosis. And of course, One of the diseases I am very passionate about is narcolepsy. Narcolepsy, definitely underdiagnosed, definitely misdiagnosed, and we definitely have things to make people function better when we talk about narcolepsy. So if you have recurrent sleep paralysis, if you have excessive daytime sleepiness, if you have a high Epworth sleepiness scale score, well, hey, that's something that we could evaluate is narcolepsy. And if you are passionate about me talking about narcolepsy in one of these videos, please let me know. I Trust me, I could go all day and talk about narcolepsy. So last two things I wanted to bring up about sleep paralysis is that many of my patients tell me, you know, when I had this episode of sleep paralysis, why am I seeing aliens? (laughs) You know, and so it's because when you are paralyzed, remember your mind is somewhat awake, but your body is stuck in REM sleep, so it can't move, that your mind is like, let me shock this person to start moving. So your brain becomes in this hyper vigilant state. And it may actually contribute to some of these hallucinations. So when we talk about visual hallucinations that can occur, it probably is your brain telling you to wake up. So depending upon what year it is, literally, the hallucinations that people are getting kind of correlate with that period in time. So I think that if this was going to be in the 80s, I know that there was a big thing was about aliens, that this was the big thought about alien abduction, that the aliens come in, you can't move, they're scary looking. So it is interesting that people do have these scary hallucinations when they have sleep paralysis. And the last thing I wanted to mention is that when you talk to someone with sleep paralysis, they often say they couldn't breathe. It was almost like someone was sitting on my chest. So I mean, now combining that with the scary people, they sometimes say a demon was sitting on my chest. And, you know, look at this picture over here. This is a classic picture of sleep paralysis. And there is going to be a demon sitting on someone's chest. And who could tell me What is the name of this famous painting? That is a tricky one. This is called the Incubus. The Incubus. That's not the name of a rock band. It's called the Incubus. So when we talk about um, why do people feel that way is because, let's go back to the science. So when you have sleep paralysis, what do we say? Your mind is awake, but your body is stuck in what? REM sleep. And when you're in REM sleep, what makes it so unique from other stages of sleep, you lose muscle tone, you can't move because you're going to be in REM sleep. And what happens because you lose muscle tone that the upper airway gets what collapsed and check this out. What stage of sleep do we see obstructive sleep apnea the most? REM sleep because of the loss of muscle tone of the upper airways. So you could imagine if you're having sleep paralysis, you can't breathe because of that loss of muscle tone. Also during REM sleep, there are changes in your breathing pattern. Your breathing becomes more shallow when you're in REM sleep. So now you're having obstruction up here. You're having shallow breathing. You're visualizing some kind of monster and you can't breathe. And that's why it can be very, very scary. Truth is that the answer to the question is correct. It is reassurance. And that's why it's always important to talk to your primary care doctor if you had an episode of this. And of course, if you're having recurrent episodes of sleep paralysis, that is something that really does need to be evaluated. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed our first sleep case together. If you have any requests, obstructive sleep apnea, insomnia, parasomnia, narcolepsy, hey, let me know, I'll be happy to talk about those. And of course, follow me on social media, especially my Instagram. I hope everyone has a great 2021.